Well, without any doubt, one of the big events of this past year was the coronation of King Charles. But because most of us had only known one monarch in our lifetime, there was a lot of curiosity, even a wee bit of nervousness. And so people wondered and people were discussing, what kind of a king will he be? The baby that Mary gave birth to on that first Christmas, he was to be a special king. And earlier, Mervyn read the words that the angels spoke to Mary concerning the son that she would have. Listen to those words again, because he says of this special one who will be born, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But the big question is, what kind of a king would he be? Well, long before his birth, God told people about the kind of king that Jesus would be, about what this Messiah who was promised by God would be like. In fact, if you were to read through the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, you would see that it's absolutely crammed full of references to Jesus and what He would be like. Prophecies that let people know what to expect and prophecies which we read today as people who have known Jesus coming so that we can learn truth about Him. And perhaps one of the best-known prophecies about Jesus is found in Isaiah chapter 9, where we read words about what the coming Messiah would be like. In fact, the words that you read in Isaiah chapter 9 are very similar to what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, because as Isaiah reveals what this king would be like, he too speaks about how this king would be in the line of Israel's greatest ever, King David. He says of him in Isaiah 9 verse 7, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Now, often that's a passage that is read at the beginning of a carol service like this. But tonight, let me read one other verse from Isaiah chapter 9 and think about it with you towards the end of our service. And let me highlight the wonderful truth that this prophecy contains, because Isaiah tells us exactly what this king would be like. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. He says of King Jesus, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But you know, a lifetime of carol services for many of us make those really familiar words, words that we maybe hear year in, year out, but don't actually give much thought to. Have you ever stopped to think about what this verse is telling us about Jesus? 
let's consider the kind of king that he is. Isaiah says of King Jesus that he is a wonderful counselor. And in actual fact, that would have been a strange thing for people to read when they first heard this prophecy. A king being described as a counselor, because in that day, kings had counselors. They weren't counselors. They had wise people around them to advise them and to help them to reign, just in the same way that today prime ministers and presidents have chiefs of staff and special advisors and people to keep them right and give them guidance and advice. But the thing about King Jesus is that He is a king who does not need counsel from anyone. Remember that He is God. And elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 40 speaks about the greatness of God. And He tells us, in fact, God Himself tells us of Himself that He did not need anyone to enlighten Him. He didn't need anyone to impart knowledge to Him. But not only that, Isaiah calls Jesus the wonderful counselor. And the way in which he uses that word is the old way in which people would have used that word wonderful. He's not simply saying that Jesus is a good counselor. He's saying that his counsel inspires awe. It is something that we can barely understand. I remember when I started out as a minister in Rathryland, sometimes when I visited old people, they used that word wonderful in the older sense, and it kind of confused me. Once a man was talking about a disease that he had, a disease that had robbed him of so much, and he said to me, you know, Philip, it's a wonderful thing. Now, did he mean it was good? Of course not. He meant it's kind of beyond your understanding and the counsel, the wisdom that Jesus has and gives is beyond our full understanding. And you know, that's really good news for us in our lives because let's face it, we are clueless. As we face up to situations in our family, as we face up to problems each day, we have no idea where to turn to and what to do about so many things. But tonight know that when you turn to Jesus, you are coming to one who will help you and who is awesomely wise. He is the wonderful counselor. But then Isaiah also describes Jesus, the, the coming king, as being mighty God. And that's something that we understand about the Lord Jesus from God's Word. Again, another of the readings often read at a carol service like this is John chapter 1. And John lays out really clearly that Jesus is in fact God. But this title, Mighty God, is very specific. It relates to God when He's at war. It relates to the Old Testament and to the history of God's people. Time and time again, they found themselves fighting against their enemies. And when that happened, it was God Himself who intervened. It was God who stepped in and delivered them. 
And Jesus is the mighty God. He's the one who fights. But be sure that Jesus did not come into this world to fight against nations. He came to conquer our greatest enemies of all, sin and Satan and death itself. And in fact, right back towards the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, we hear about Jesus coming to fight as far back as then. We hear about the way in which He would beat Satan, but He would do it at a great price to Himself. We think of God's words to Satan who appears in the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the curse that the Lord puts on Satan. This is the warning and the promise that He gives to him. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So be absolutely sure of this. Jesus came to fight. And that's good news for us as we face the attacks of the evil one. That's good news for us in a world that is marred by sin. That's good news for us as we face up to our ultimate enemy death. And yet it seems kind of strange that this wee one born in Bethlehem was going to be a fighter given another of the titles that Isaiah attributes to him because he also describes him as being the Prince of Peace. But that's the thing. Jesus was coming to fight in order to bring about peace. And as you hear that, you might think, Philip, that doesn't make any sense. But let me explain it like this. Think about the Second World War. And many of the Allied soldiers fighting in that war would have said that they were fighting for peace. It sounds kind of contradictory, but think about it. They were fighting against an evil enemy who had brought so much trouble and discord to the world. They had to fight hard so that ultimately peace would be restored. And the Lord Jesus had to fight hard against Satan, against sin, against death. Ultimately, that fight cost him his life on the cross, but it was a fight for peace. It was a, a sacrifice that enabled those who follow him to have peace with God. One of those followers and believers was the Apostle Paul. And in many verses, he talks about this peace that people find with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, it's so badly needed, and it came at a great cost. It cost Jesus His very life on the cross. So, do you have this peace that is found through turning to the Prince of Peace? That's the, the great thing I've been reminded of once again in the run-up to this Christmas. As I try 
and get around and see people who have been going through struggles over this past year. And once again, I'm reminded that in the midst of struggles that all of us would really struggle about, there are people who belong to God in Christ and they have a peace. In fact, this past week, someone who was telling me about their past year in the midst of struggles was able to say directly to me, I have peace. And that's a wonderful thing. But one final thing about the one who was born in Bethlehem on that first Christmas, and that is that he is the everlasting father. And that could easily confuse us because just when we're trying to to get our heads around the whole thing of the Trinity and the, the relationships, we are sure that Jesus, well, he's the son. He's not the father. But this is a title to help us to understand the kind of king that Jesus came to be. Not a king who was out to get as much as he could for himself, but a king who would rule as a loving father with the best interests of his people at heart. Remember that Jesus shares the nature and the character of God. And what are we told about the Lord in the Old Testament in Psalm 103? We read these words that as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And remember that Jesus is the everlasting Father. This is what Jesus will always be like, and this is how He will always treat you if you turn to Him and trust in Him. So, here's the really good news tonight. You and I don't need to be curious. We don't need to wonder. We don't need to be concerned about what kind of a king Jesus is for He is the wonderful counselor. And if you turn to Him, He will guide you when you're totally unclear and unsure. He is the mighty God. And if you turn to Him and trust in Him, He fights on your behalf against your greatest enemies, not least death itself. And He is the everlasting Father. And when you submit your life to Him and trust in Him, He really cares for you as He rules over your life. And He, He is the Prince of Peace who gave His life so that you could have eternal peace with God. Amen.